to uh, just kick us off around like uh, who you are, what you do, um, just for people who don't know who you are, and then we can go from there. Yeah, okay. So, um, uh, Chris Burtle, I'm the uh, one of the directors at Capio Recruitment. Um, my role is sort of more aligned to a head of people. So I oversee essentially three core areas, which is learning and development, talent acquisition, and um, and HR. The role is a little bit more all-encompassing just because the way that because the, the context of our business at the moment. So I, I tend to actually also still get involved in aspects of sales management, mm. uh, marketing, I help oversee and uh, the tech side of it, making sure our tech supplies all, all work in the systems we utilize. So it is quite ops and all encompassing, but my, um, I guess my large part of my background is more L&D than, than, than anything and really looking at the organizational structure and processes and making sure that they're fit for purpose in order to be able to scale. Yeah, good stuff. So for those, because it, it is uh, an area which I think is misunderstood. So could you just explain your role and, and, and what that actually means, what actually goes into that like in, in terms of like a learning development manager and director? More so the L&D, from the L&D side, as opposed to well, the TA and HR stuff. Yeah, I, I think, because I, I, I certainly did. I certainly misunderstood what actually goes into it and what, what the role actually entails. Um, yeah. but yeah, if you could just give an overview of like what your day to day looks like and, and, and what that role yeah. actually is, but also I suppose the value it provides to, to companies. Yeah. I have great sympathy for a lot of people who work in L and D, particularly in recruitment, because it gets perceived as one thing that it, it that you're constantly caught. You're almost fighting against it to one, to one degree because mm. most people see it as training, right? L and D I've got an issue. My guys are struggling. Can you go and train this person? And that is a that is a bit of a battle, uh, but it's just so much more. There's just so much more to L and D than that that side because training is one mechanism to, in order to to achieve a problem. Learning is more about actually deciding how we're going to get the individual to learn the skill sets to overcome the problem that they're that they're encountering, um, and that quite often isn't training. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's not it's not that. It might be coaching. It might be pairing them up with a with a mentor. Is it will? Is it skill? What are the reasons why it's not happening? Yeah. It could just be a simple system error. Like there's, it's more about actually understanding the nuances and in, in the context of the issue. Like what's the problem, and then trying to work out what is the best solution that we can have to help the person learn the skills that they need to in order to succeed. You may like, and that's the thing. The L and D person may not may not be they might might not be the right person to deliver that training anyway because. For example, you've got learning and development people in recruitment businesses, and this this is myself as well, right? The people in, yep. in our organisation that, that are better at the job than me, that have more current and relevant experience on the tools, doing what they're doing. So I can give people, I you know, don't get me wrong, I've worked in recruitment for fifteen years and helped and developed a number of people who are very very good at the jobs. So I've seen a lot of of things that um, that I can hopefully pass on. But equally, it's a long time since I was actively on the tools and, and, and whatnot. So actually, it, think of yourself as almost like a broker of knowledge, like a broker mm. of learning that sits with inside the organization to actually That's say, right, let's, under le yeah, let's understand the challenges that you've got, like actually try to diagnose the issue, much like what a recruiter does, right? Mm. And then think, okay, based on the challenges that I've got, 
And this is where I think understanding culture, like understanding your business culture is a really important part of it. Um, because, it, you know, and the key people inside it and things like that. And then go, right, well, based on the issues, who would be the best person to, to help deliver this? What would be the most appropriate solution? Have we got any e-learning solutions that might just support with it? And then we can back that up with some coaching. Is it just a, a four to six week coaching program? That, we've, that, that we can run one-to-one -one with the person? Can I pair them up with a mentor? Who is the best person? And it's, it's not not just training. Like when, when, when a recruiter, come, when someone comes to you and says, oh, my guys are struggling, can you help train them? The first question you should yeah. ask is, well, what have you done? What have you done so far to try to resolve the issue yourself? Well, I haven't done anything. Well, <laughs> well they, they, they might, <laughs> you might be the best person to resolve this, not, 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 not me. So, um, there is that battle. I think from a learning and development manager perspective, as opposed to just someone who's like more, I suppose, more L&D, um, like a consultant sort of thing. Yeah. Is I think you need, I, I think I, I sort of look at it as if I was removed from the business, it just still all happen. What are the systems and the, what have we set up? that would allow someone else to pick this up and run with it if I wasn't if I wasn't here. And I guess that feeds into trying to establish and build a learning, like a learning culture. So, you know, we've, from, from our side, we've got an induction that I, yeah, okay, I've built the induction for someone who's coming into recruitment. There's four phases to it, um, based around phase one, let's teach them how to find candidates and qualify candidates. And then we've got like online assessments at the end of each one, just to try to embed, um, in, like in, help embed the learning. Phase two, let's get them actually doing, you know, well, they're also doing the job as well along alongside this. So they'll be maybe um, resourcing on other people's jobs and getting active feedback by working alongside another consultant. Phase two, how do we manage the candidate and the client through the recruitment process? Phase three, how do we qualify jobs and negotiate terms of business? More account management, 270 kind of stuff. And then um, the last bit, then we go on to new business development. But yeah. I'm still probably, I am delivering too many of the modules at the moment, but that's something that I, I will, we will be doing next year. So actually, like, the training isn't just delivered all by me because I get bored. Like, listening to just 39-year-old bloke bang on, like, it, it, it's better off coming from actually different people who can deliver, um, you know, their own spin on it their own stories, anecdotes, situations that they've had that are more current than a lot more current than mine. So that, and then that should in effect run by itself. Like we do, um, we do an LND drop-in, monthly LND drop-in. So it's just a, a session that it's, it can be unstructured. It could be come along, let's just talk, bit of um, call it action learning. Like, let's actually just talk about some of the issues that you've got and see if we can almost discuss between us what are different people doing that would help mm. overcome overcome that. Um, or you or someone can pick a topic that that they want to that they want what, that they want to run, and we just rotate that round. I've only delivered one this year on a, on objection handling, and we've done seven, like seven of them. So I don't need to I don't need to run that, but it's the syst it's the you know it, it's just the system that's in place to then help facilitate more more learning. Um, yeah. What else are we done? Yeah, like I, I mentioned to you, the so one of the big one of the big things that we have have built, and I think this is really really important, particularly in recruitment, and 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 this really helps 
I think as well sell from a talent acquisition perspective, and it's part of our, our employee value proposition, yeah. is that we don't promote we don't promote based on billing, just on billings. Um, there, it's there's far more to it. So we have a quite a robust like career development framework, and we call it a ramp. Just really basic, it stands for recruitment and management progression. And I thought it sounds good because it's like a ramp, right? Yeah. Um, but it's it, um, it outlines the financial goals because, of course, it's a sales role, so there are some financial goals. Um, there is a culture code score, which is determined by there are eight behaviors that we have which underpin each of our four values. So two two behaviors per value, basically. And that is to ensure that if someone is going to progress through the business, that they're aligned to our cultural values. We don't want to have people in allegiance because the issue it like the issue is there and we've, we've we've i think most people who've worked in recruitment have seen this is when you have someone in a management or leadership role that doesn't embody the values that creates issues that can create serious serious problems later on down the line um so we have a culture code score that people have to work towards and that get the demands of that get higher the higher you go up through the ranks you want to go to a management role the expectations of that score are higher um and then we have a series of competency goals. We have actually recruitment-based goals and then like almost like growth goals, like professional growth goals uh, that they have to work towards to achieve each level. And these aren't, they're not hugely complicated. If someone's starting in recruitment, it might be that, you know, our training, I think for the first three levels, we've now added in things like uh, adding 500 connections on LinkedIn to your, that are, that are within your market. Um, mm. If you're starting out in recruitment, get X number of terms of business in place, X number of client meetings, the things that they should be kind of doing anyway. That, that, but actually, if they focus on the process, then the byproduct should be that the billings fall into place. Yeah, yeah. But what we're um, and like as someone wants to move to, let's say someone's a principal wants to move into like a management role, then there's you need to sit in, you need to have sat in X number of interviews, like internal interviews. You need to have mentored someone for four weeks, you need to have delivered a training subject and, these, and, and, and received feedback. Like these little things, so you're trying to build the skills that will allow someone to succeed in that role when they move into it, not like right. you move into the job and then think, oh God, like I don't know how to do this. Like in theory, mm. they should have already done some of the key parts that are actually required for that role. And again, like that's something that I see is like a really important part of LND. Like that's nothing to do with, that's not training. That's mm. just aligning learning with the business strategy of where we want to go. Like I've just relaunched that ramp this this year. We've we've I, I put a post up about this the other day, but it was like we've reduced the layers, we've compressed it, we've accelerated progression. Um, really positive things, like really po really well received. But there's some of the competency goals that are now linked to some of our strategic imperatives. So, for example, we know as a business we need to be winning more exclusive um, work and more retained work. Okay, we've, we've done a lot of work behind the scenes to productize these solutions. Something I know that you're a big, big fan of, and how we how we deliver on them. So, there's there's we're ready to almost go, and I got to start the training as of as of Jan. But then, you know, we're either then able to map expectations around selling some of those solutions into the career development framework 
So it's kind mm. of like, I can't just go, oh, we're going to do this, and they don't do it. It's like, but if you're not, it, it, to begin with, we've actually you just said we want to make sure that you've you've tried, you know, that you've actually presented some of these solutions because we're fairly confident that we'll win them once we present them with the stuff that we've built. Um, but actually, if, in order to get promoted, they need to have demonstrated that they've done that. You know, and like these are the yeah. things I think that that in L and D you that that can get uh, very much misunderstood by the by the business HR in general. To be perfectly honest, the whole of HR is quite wildly misunderstood by many small businesses because you hire HR quite often to go like to begin with. It's like oh god, we're going to end up in court if we don't do something. Whereas yeah, most yeah. HR people want to do things that are transformational to the organisation and help it grow and well being. <laughs> cultural value add but um it you know they get bogged down in in some of the more maintenance stuff that they have to do but yeah that is um how i sort of see learning and development is aligning employee learning and development like their 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 competency development and the, the skills that they're developing and being able to link that to the broader business strategy but you know if an led person doesn't know the business strategy and this is why they need the seats at the top table this is why you need yeah. them close to the top of the business they can't create that link they can't they're pitching in the dark yeah i think that's no, a really they can't, good point, they can't transform things yeah i think i think that is a really good point because um yeah i think sometimes certain roles and included aren't necessarily part of certain conversations which then limits their ability to do their job effectively so um yeah i totally I'm agree sorry. with that um, what'd be interesting as well is, so your time in your current role, could you just talk about like, you know, sort of challenges and learns, um, over, over, over the period and, um, with, with the mm. view that if anyone's listening at the moment, who's looking to scale a business or maybe doesn't have an L and D, uh, functional, you know, someone who is in L and D and needs some advice. Um, could you just talk a little bit about that to, to sort of, uh, give them some tips? So, um, I think some of the challenges for, for me personally, for personally, I, I, I want to link everything back to, I, I strive for alignment, right? It's really weird. Like I really want to achieve like organizational alignment. So everything makes sense from top to bottom. So for me, when I came into, um, Capio, it's a four founder business, right? So that 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 creates uh there are pros and there's cons to that. You can scale quite quickly, but then you've got um you've it's it's just navigating stakeholders is somewhat a little bit more tricky. So mm. um things like the mission, I know I needed I, I for me I needed this because I couldn't create the vision, I couldn't create the values, I couldn't create the behavioural framework, I couldn't create anything until I really had until I had that in, in, in place. So and it was really important that I understood it's not my business. Like this needed to come from them and that they felt passionate about it as well. So I had to like um something that I, I sat down and interviewed uh, each of them, asked them like a series of questions, why they set up the business, what they what they love about Capio, like where they see it going, like all of these sorts of general questions. But it's like loads of like qualitative stuff, right? But then I like I had all the answers like pretty much right written out. And then I mm. deciphered their answers um created like a thematic review so you kind of like pigeonhole their answers into certain themes and then like what came out of that 
and it was uniform across all of them was that like there was two two really standout things and it was quality and that the business was sort of created in service of others in a way like the business should be there to help other other, other like people internally to progress their careers we should be looking to help candidates progress their careers it was all of this sorts of stuff so then based on that i was able to then present a mission which mm. was to create opportunities that help in building a better future it may not have started at that. I think we refined it to that, but that's where we ended up. And then that created some buy into buy into that. And then I could then go on and create the the the, the values. Like when I and a lot of people will talk about cult like culture as being really, really important because it is massively mm. important. But if you want to grow your company, that if you're not deliberate about the way that you want to like manage your culture, then you're just going to end up with a, you just end up with a mixed bag, right? You just, you add more people to the pot, the culture just ends up being what it is. You can yep. be strategic about the way that you want it to, to almost manifest as, we, as, as people get added. So you have to have the vision, the mission and the values in, in, in place. I sat down and interviewed every single person in the business when I, when I first started and asked them what the values were. Uh, only the marketer knew. Uh, what all of the values were. And I was like, right, okay, that yeah. presents an opportunity to do some work there. Uh, everyone said supportive, everyone across the whole, that, and that was one of the values, but that was really cool. Everyone, so everyone really enjoyed working with the company, overwhelmingly positive. But I just felt that as we add more people into the pot, you're going to miss that if you can't be really, really clear on those things. So we did a, I got, we did like a mission to Mars project is you can google this it's quite it's quite a, a known exercise that you do and you basically say if we're going to replicate this business on another planet mars who would you send uh which four people would you send and that basically gave me an idea as to the fact like the people who were perceived as almost like values champions without being right. formally given the title do you know what i mean and then i we also sent out a survey with data about like selection about all these different values that people voted for, that they were important to them and that they thought best represented Capio. And then um, I worked with that group and they decided, they basically, we, we went through all the data as a group and then decided on which ones we thought were most appropriate. That gave us the values, but the most, this is, the, and I think this is more important than anything because lots of people have values. What do they do with them? Put them on a well, wall. They stick them on their website and then people forget about them, don't they? And don't do anything with them. Don't do anything with them. So it's it, like that. You, for me, the most important part then it was was then actually saying, right, how do we transfer this value into action? Like, what is the behaviour that you need to see that means that someone is doing that? So we had dedicated, integrity, supportive, and humility. Over like the values, what does that actually mean? What does what what does that look like? So then, that was the the culture code was then we worked on right so dedicated what does that actually mean and it's like you know going above and beyond the call of duty when you need to like showing that you really you 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 sort of care and these are such simple things you know i show this when people when we when we induct people and i'm like is there anything on here that you don't think you can do it's not yeah. it's very very straightforward like stuff um it is actually a lot more difficult. Depends when the pressure's on. Sometimes um, these things do tend to go out the window. But um, that means that we are now we we can just be really really clear on how we want people to kind of like behave and hold those values. So I think 
if in terms of like growing a business, if you want to make culture like front and center to that, I would I would really put a case forward to saying like have your values, but then like have clear behaviors that you want people to adopt as part of that, mm. and then factor that in somewhere along the line to the way that they're either promoted or part of their reviews. We now review it quarterly. Everyone gets is going to get reviewed quarterly as part of their um, appraisals. You'll get a score. Um, and there might just be like slight, slight tweaks that we just need to make just so that we're creating yeah. alignment to the, to the values and the mission. Yeah, I, I, the culture and, and values thing is, is really interesting because I've worked at a few agencies in my career and um, I've seen people, um, yeah, I've seen companies just do it so wildly different. And some, some it was just non-existent, really. It, it was literally like, I remember, I remember we had a push on the values. It was like, I don't know, it was like flavor of the month sort of thing. I don't know what happened. They must have had a meeting and they were like, mm you know, we haven't talked about values in three years. We should probably do this. So they had the big push and then it sort of got forgot, forgotten about. But I remember, um, I remember the COO pulled everyone on the sales floor and like the directors and everything, um, into like a, you know, a big circle sort of thing. And he was like, uh, do you know what our values are? And nobody knew, nobody knew. And they were like, we've got like five core values, which we actually haven't, um, we haven't even like looked at or reviewed in years. We, we actually, we actually couldn't tell you what they are and nobody understood what they yeah. were. And we sort of realized that there was very little direction and there was very little, like there wasn't like the 10 commandments sort of thing that you revert back yeah. to in, in hard time. But with the, with the values, you sort of touched on it there, but how do you, and I suppose how strict are you? Like when, when times are tough, it, like you said, it can be extremely easy just to be like, oh, you know, we we won't be as ethical at the moment because then we can push certain deals through because we need the revenue, that sort of thing. I know obviously a lot of a lot of um, companies fall on that sword, but how do you how do you stick to your values in the harder times? I just it, it's all driven from that from that framework, really. Like it feeds into, I say it feeds into everything. Probation passes, promotions, um, which are the, the like the, the big things that the guys are often aiming for and pushing for is those things. Is that it feeds back into into those in, into those areas. Um, mm. There's certain decisions that we've made that you can stress test against them as well. Like um, particularly the mission. Like there's certain there's decisions that we've made this year that that I think far put us they're really advanced for where we are. So uh, as a small business, you see like supportive is one of our values, right? That's, mm-hmm. and, that, and that was, that was, I said, that was the one that came up more so than anything. When I first interviewed them, they were like, I don't really know, maybe supportive, like most of like that. So it, and it was one of the values. So things that we've like looked at this, this year is, um, I had a, conversation with our girls off the back of international women's day and just said like be really candid and and honest with me here what do we do well what don't we do that well at and what do we genuinely suck at and like i had some really good really helpful feedback on 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 that there was lots of good stuff they actually talked about the way that our values were very inclusive like and it wasn't 
that they weren't like male dominated values around like competition and all of these sorts of things. Right. Um, so that was positive, but they said your like benefits and incentives tend to still be too weighted towards, um, towards the guys. And it was like, right, great. Let's work on, let's work on that. One of the, the things around benefits was like, we didn't think like we as a group of leaders, we were like, well, we've got quite a young work workforce. We don't really see that is private healthcare really that important? Massively, massively important, by the way. Um, so, and that came back on the feedback. They were like, you don't understand how helpful that would be for us to have, be able to just see a doctor because at the moment, it, you know, the NHS is where it is and it's, that's, not, that's not easy. Yeah. So that was feedback that we've got. We've been able to do some stuff behind the scenes on our, some of our HR bits and made a few cuts here and there to then be able to deliver that. Um, which we then rolled out last month. Um, what was the like octopus like benefits the octopus money coaching? It was right. Like I saw this as a really really clear link. Like creating opportunities to help and building a better future. It was about providing free financial coaching to our guys. Um, I don't want people coming into work necessarily stressing about money because it's difficult because I think they'll focus on the wrong thing. So why not provide a benefit? which can give them advice and guidance on how to be more financially stable. And like that's a, an enhanced, so we, 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 we subsidize it at lead consultant, which is basically one up from, for us, it's one up from recruiter. And then that becomes, they get unlimited access. And it, like, these are the things, so it's, I think you, you, it's about backing it up. Like once you've made that decision, like back up the, like back it up and link it back. We've done it because of this. All right. We, oh, that was the other thing that came up about conversation with our girls. I'm super proud of this, but like they just said, I, I, you know, we've got four directors, five directors, including me, four founders, and I'm another director, all, all male, similar age, white, right? I can't change that overnight. We can't do that, right? But, and it's, so we, I think we have to work harder because of it. We have to work hard. So the, I don't want that to just to be a cheap shot that someone can just, hit us with it's like oh yeah but, oh, because actually we do quite a lot to try to we do it with well we're doing what we can um albeit I'm, i dare say that there are other people that say you could do more but as far as we're aware right now that we're, we're trying to remove the barriers so like something that came back on the the conversation with the girls was the fact that our policies around maternity and paternity are gonna maternity well, maternity for, for for them was gonna pose real challenges in terms of getting women into leadership roles um, mm. because at some point in time, you've got this, and the recruitment industry is really crap at this, but at the point in time that someone is generally getting very good at recruitment, they're probably around about 27, 28, like usually you know, three, four years in or whatever, that can coincide with the same time that if it was a female, but it would be potentially be looking to start thinking about families. So then, yeah. You don't put in place a provision which is going to support them to the extent that they're potentially then going to leave the industry or look elsewhere or or whatever. Like and it just didn't sit right with me. So we then we we did we created an incredibly robust like family friendly policy and it goes way beyond just simply Matt and Pat leave. Like there are provisions in there that are really well thought out. For like in the event that really bad stuff happens over the course of someone's pregnancy and it's like we've really gone about to think in that situation what would what would we want what would be the right thing to do and again it was you know it's then bringing that back 
So like, well, because we're supportive, because we wanted to stand by this value that we're, that we were supportive mm. and equally it ties in with our mission. It's the right thing. It's the right thing for us to do. So like, they're not easy decisions. It's really, it is really easy to stand by your values when things are going well, when things are tough or when it, you know, do you stand by them when it involves you putting your hand in your pocket? Like, and that, and yeah. that's what I think we've done. I th- I, that's what I feel we, we have done um, really, really well this year. Mm. Yeah, it's a really interesting topic and um, something you just mentioned then as well. Like diversity and inclusion is obviously what everyone talks about the last few years. It's like a really, really big topic. How do you feel like, it doesn't necessarily have to be specific to recruitment agencies, but what's your opinion and and views, and you might have learned something interesting as well, around how you actually go about building diverse teams, regardless of what type of company you're, you're, you're in or what industry you're in? Yeah, it's a good question. I just it it's just you it's very difficult to just quickly to quickly change these things. It's, I think it's about understanding the barriers that yeah. you have within the workplace. There's so much more that we can do with that. Don't get me wrong. I am not. I I, I think it would be a miss to for me, for me to sit here and say that I'm an expert in 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 this. The one area that to say I knew that that it was going to pose some issues with around was around women into leadership roles within our within our business and being a parent myself and not getting pat leave at the particular time. Like the thing is, the things like paternity leave is, is that's not just about the bloke. That's like, mm. that's actually a really important thing to give that will help the mother. Like at that particular, you know, in, in it, like these things get, oh, get, get sometimes over, get sometimes overlooked. So actually it was just in that particular area. We just focused on really thinking about what are the barriers? Let's see if we can remove them. Um, to ensure that we're not losing great talent, like great talent in our in our business that we want at the that we want at the, the top table, like we want, yeah. Because when they're there, we know that like there is, you know, there is a there is a concern that if four or five directors, you could get an all male, you could get an element of group thing, and that's there's things that we've done as well. Like when we've had strategy days, we've rolled that out and had like lower levels. Uh, I was saying lower level, you know, we've we've had like senior leads in. Uh, the managers come into it and stuff like that. But where we've had female senior leads, they've come in, which has helped because otherwise we're not thinking about the broad, we're not necessarily thinking about the broader audience. Do you know know what I mean? So like if you, if you're making decisions for the bigger, just bear in mind those things. Like if you can bring other people into the meeting that are going to give diverse thought, I think that's, that's the key, right? Diverse thought. You can't just achieve diversity, but you can potentially within your business, maybe within your business, where you can try to draw in some diverse thought and opinion so that you get a, a better um, shaped sort of strategy and solution, so to speak. Yeah, with diversity and inclusion as well, right? So I can't remember where, I can't remember if I heard this on a podcast, if I was speaking to someone, I really can't. But I remember someone talking about it and they were saying how a lot of people think about diversity inclusion in that it's just like different races. Yeah. But a lot of people think of it as simple as that. If you look at the conversations around, even in sport, like, um, like the premier league, for example, I think they've got a rule where you have to interview, uh, X amount 
ratio of uh, black managers, mm. that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's very forced. And there's there's pros and cons to that approach. There, there, is, there doesn't seem to be... Um, no one's got the answer, whether it's recruitment, NBA, Premier League, it's whatever. It's so complex. It's, yeah, it, it yes. is. It is. But also someone, someone mentioned to me, um, or whatever I was listening to, um, it was like an extra layer. It was like, it doesn't necessarily need to be about a race or skin color or religion it could also be um like their background so if you've got loads yeah. of upper class people who grew up in upper class families and then having a different perspective um and different thought process for someone who's maybe from a different part of the country so south south england to, to north england it could be like their their upbringing it could be um the yeah. university they went to um but like you said just it, don't you think it's like so important to have a mixture of um, different thought processes and values and, and cultures and yeah. that sort of thing as well? It's just beyond um, obviously the you know race, race and skin color. Yeah, and I guess again, you, you uh, that comes to, and that feeds into your hiring process, right? That's that's one of the most that's that's key key that's going to be a key driver of of that. Um, so the way that you interview. And again, because if you've got the values in place, your non-negotiables, your values, these sorts of things, then you can interview based on those things. So I've got, you know, we've got competency-based, some competency-based questions or certain questions, and we're trying to tick the value mm. for it. And I really like it when I interview. I, I think quite often with recruiters, I find there's 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 so, when 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 they're sort of joining, there's something that is like something that is really driving them and that doesn't like and they can come from a diverse background they really can like in that because i know that i've had uh you've been you can interview someone who's perhaps come from a very much a less privileged background and had to graft had to work yeah. hard wants to strive and achieve something um pay back the the investment that their parents paid into them quite often it's a single parent to be quite on, to be quite honest um that paid into them and that's their drive and you can see that that is a really really healthy right that's a that's a, that's a good motivator but then i've also had people who've done really really well that have come from very good backgrounds and equally want to stand on their own two feet and show that they can do it themselves and don't want to yeah. perhaps lean and, and it's just that they, they can be they, they definitely and i really like understanding those drivers like when i'm interviewing like what mm. is the bit that's actually going to make you going to make you tick but they all score on but they, they would all go through on values rather than i guess it's yeah what you're it's, it's, it's making sure that you've got the right criteria when you come to selecting um selecting your candidates i guess yeah yeah it's, it's, i find it a really interesting topic just because like i said there isn't there isn't like uh it's one of those things where it's it's very it's very work in progress, like globally, and it doesn't matter if it's like a if it's Goldman Sachs or if it's a little recruitment agency or if it's a, a sporting league. Everyone's always like, there's always this constant conversation of like, how do we build diverse teams? Because we know diverse teams not only not only does it help you scale, because a lot of companies I think they get stuck in that, um, they get stuck in that situation where they set up a you know let's let's do recruitment so they set up a recruitment company they hire mm. you know six seven people who they knew as they knew as well before 
Um, yeah. And they all happen to be white males in their late twenties, yeah. early thirties, right? They just happen to be. They're not. They're not like doing that out on purpose, but they just. They, that's just who their group is. Um, and then when someone who's of a different race or different gender or different background or whatever um, comes in and interviews, and they look around and see nine white males, and they're um, you know a, 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 a black female, let's say, right? Naturally, they're if they're interviewing it somewhere else where it is a bit more diverse they're going to go there yeah so the diverse company yeah. keeps sweeping up all the, the the building a diverse team and attracting different um uh you know different metrics but yeah the the company who is like actually actively trying to be more diverse isn't able to actually um attract the talent because they're and then it's sort of like a vicious cycle isn't it it is, and you get that even just really. You've just seen this just in, in more simple terms. Just actually, when you get it's the balance of males to females on a team, like you go past a point of no return. Like I worked on a in, a in a business before. We had an engineering division. It was like this is so hard now because of the the the, the nature of a the sector that they're recruiting in is very very male dominated, uh, and the guys that we had on the team, it was like I don't even know who we could get to sit on this 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 team. Well it wasn't a hugely successful team, probably for that probably probably for mm. that reason. Um but yeah you can it is difficult to turn the tide with it. And like you could I could interview because I do, you know I like to think I don't I don't well unconscious bias is unconscious bias. Have you ever read Blink by um Malcolm Gladwell? No I haven't read it. No I think the only book I've read by him is um Outliers. Outliers, I loved Outliers. Great book, great book. But Blink, Blink is also very good, and it, there's just it's just some really interesting stuff around unconscious bias that you just never think of, and different experiments that have been done that you just you cannot actually you can't get away from it. You mm. you can be aware, but you, you it's very very difficult to get to because there's just a deep they like they're in you like it's very it's very difficult. That's the way that you've been made up by various different experiences over the course of your life. So it is. I don't know what this I. As I say, I just you can, you can try to remove the barriers, um, and yeah, try try as hard as you can to make sure that your business is as inclusive as is is possible. Um, but yeah, sorry, mate, I've got a bit stuck as I don't know. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's a hard one. This is why I asked the question because uh, I've, I'm yet to speak to anyone who uh, who has the answer. And what I found interesting was um, one of my friends was interviewing for a. I think he was trying to get into internal recruitment and he kept on getting asked, like, how are we going to build a diverse team? And um, there wasn't really a proper answer to it. It was just sort of like, they were, they were almost asking from the perspective of, we've tried, we don't know how to do it. And we spoke to people, and we don't know how to do it. So can you, can you help? So I've, I think it's a really yeah, interesting. I think um, feedback is really important. As I said, like there was stuff there that I didn't think about just, just like when I did, when we did International Women's Day that we hadn't really thought of. And it was like silly things mm. that we like, you know, there was a five a side football competition going on at the same time. We sent the lads off. The guys went off and played football, finished up for the day. The girls went for lunch on International Women's Day and came back to the business. And it was like, that's not right. Like we got that wrong. Mm. We got that wrong. We got that message wrong. And they were really thought and I was, but you know, I was really glad I had the meeting with them because it gave, I asked for feedback and they didn't hold back. <laughs> And I, we've made changes off off the back of it. So I think, you know, our big 
yeah, you know, the concept of like psychological safety within a business, like you, you encourage feedback, you try to make yourself vulnerable to the extent that like people are, you know, you, you, you admit your, where your, your shortcomings and your failures and these sorts of things, just to put, just to be open and honest. And if I think we've done, I think we do that well. So therefore we are able to get some decent feedback to, for us to be able to then necessarily make the changes. If you just, you know, if it's my way or the highway, you're beating the drum, you're trying to very autocratic leadership. People are just giving you lip service. It's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. Like you, you, you can't be getting it. It slows down learning, slows down team learning. Organizations can't change. You see this time and time again, where businesses have got like really autocratic ways of, of managing. And it, I just don't believe it works in today's, in, 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 in today's society, like in today's competitive world, like you have to be able to, you know, navigate what is a really tricky landscape, um, business-wide and do it quite quickly and make changes. And, like the faster you can learn as a business, the quicker you can adapt to changes. So if people are scared of yeah. giving feedback, it's going to slow down that cycle. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think it's mad as well. Like creating a culture where people are scared to give you honest feedback. Like the only way you can get honest feedback is the, um, you know, there's anonymous polls you can do. You can get like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You've just done one. You've just done some. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've I've worked in companies where people are still scared to because they're like, oh, yeah, they're probably yeah, yeah. tracking it though. Like, how, how, yeah. If your culture has really got to the point where people are scared of, of submitting anonymous feedback, like maybe you need to to reassess things. It is quite genuinely one of my biggest worries. When I, if I've ever spoken to them, if I speak to a consultant and they've got an issue that they're not, that they're too worried to go to their manager with, I have huge concerns if that's the case. Cause I'm like, I just want, why you should be able to just talk to your manager about these things. And if they aren't, that is a failing on the manager's part. Like mm. they, they, because they're, they're not encouraging enough feedback in there. They don't always have to accept it. It's not to say that it's always right, but at least you know where the yeah. person, where the person's head is, like head is at and you can get their you you can get in to try to resolve it, but yeah, it's always one of my biggest concerns. Is if if is if is if a manager basically rules by through fear, you know? Yeah, my my way is the best way, and if you don't like it, mm. off you go, sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, just just to sort of close this off, mate. So, what I'd be really interested in in getting your opinion of is where do you feel like recruitment is going? Um, Ooh, and it doesn't just have to be recruitment agencies, but you know, we're in a situation now where, like, we're going through like another technological boom. It seems like it seems like the biggest one since the internet, really. In that, mm. you know, AI is is at the forefront of of everyone's mind. It's on the tip of everyone's tongue, and we're at the we're seeing the baby steps. Like, I think, um, yeah, it's it's sort of like the pong the pong version of video games and then in 10 years 20 years it's going to be you know xbox 360 sort of thing um yeah. probably even a bigger jump to be honest with you and that's you know it's obviously going to affect businesses and we're you know people are already utilizing chat gpt which to be honest with you i think is going to be actually considered quite basic in five years but like yeah. where do, where do yeah. you see recruitment going um yeah I don't know. <laughs> I think um, 
when it comes to the AI side, it's quite difficult to know because I don't think any of us know where quite is quite where it's going. I listen to Mo Gauda talk quite a bit and it scares the living daylights out of me, but I, even he's like, I don't really know where it's going because no one really knows because it's doing stuff mm. that they don't really understand. Um, I, do you know what? I, when, I, when I think back, though, just in, in terms of like re- re- recruitment and stuff, when I think back to even like years ago, like when, when I was, was doing recruitment and just what I've seen consistently work, like what I've seen work over time. I don't think a lot of that has changed. So there's just loads more noise. Mm. When you, when you really think, think about what the targets were 10 years ago of what you were looking to get generally what most businesses, recruitment businesses were looking to get their consultants to bill. Has that changed in 10 years? Like the average, because generally, 10 years ago, a lot was like, well, we can get this business to a point in time where everyone's billing 10 grand a month. Yeah. It's not really that different. It's not really that different, is it? So all of the all of the stuff that's come in, all the, the noise, all the technological advancements, I'm not saying that they're not great because people who can utilize them, but when you can utilize them, amazing. Yeah. But is it really driven? Is it really driven the performance of the industry? I'm not saying I had, I'm just, I, it's, I guess more of a bit of a, bit of a question. I'm not totally sold on it. Like you've got incredible products out there that do wonderful, wonderful things, but half the time you're battling to get a consultant just to advertise their job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, well, can you pop them into a sequence, which is going to be multi-channeled and do all of this wonderful thing? So like, mm. can you, can you just clean your inbox? <laughs> it's like there's some real basic things that I think sometimes talk about the window. Like when you look about the key things that people needed to like to be successful in recruitment 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever, work ethic, intrinsically motivated, driven by quality, want to build relationships, be curious, keep learning. That's no different. That's, that's, the, the tactics are different and you can use, you can definitely use different approaches now to where you can get creative. I think... Um, I, you know, I, I really believe in personal branding from a recruitment perspective. Like I, I think there is a lot of noise and it is a way for you to cut through it just by building a, a, a reputation, a brand so that when simply when you, out, when you do your outreach, you've got some credibility, they've seen you, I think you're more likely to convert that lead. I started a project with, I basically, I, I, I'm going to go off the tangent again. Is that okay? Well, I started, <laughs> so we did, we've done a personal branding bootcamp for eight weeks. And we paid for that. It was good, but I don't feel I got, the guys didn't quite get to where I wanted them to with it in terms of converting, converting, converting into revenue. So I was like, right, I'm going to work with two of you for 10 weeks, one-to-one, and I will help you craft content. You just, as long as you can do it, as long as you have to do what I say you're going to do, like what I ask you to do, sorry. Um, with it, I sat with them both for 45 minutes last week. We created two, three posts. I said, we're just going to go heavy on valuable. We're going to give away content to your audience that I think is valuable because I think that is the way to go. Not personal. I don't think that's what's going to drive your drive you like leads, like good quality leads. Created a poll, two valuable posts, both picked up clients just off the first week. So I was like, it's really? not like, it's, honestly, guys. It means both. Well, yeah. What inbound lead, account exec? We've got an op- we've got we've got a job opportunity. Could you help? Could you help us with it? The other consultant is just booked a meeting in 
uh, yesterday or the day before off of, off of those those leads. That was the first week. I was like, I know what we can do with, I know what you can do with this if you get the right content, get the right audience in the room, align your context and your connections so that it's your right target audience, and then we're going to drop valuable content into in, into it. And they started to pick up leads from it. So I do, I think that is a really, uh, so like moving forwards, and you're seeing this more and more with consultants. I do think that's something that's going to become more, more, more popular, popular and prevalent within, within recruitment. Um, I think there's, I, I, I do think LinkedIn is really driving the standards of the industry just because of people who are really seen in uh, with it yourself, uh, Ben Browning, um, certain people who are putting really good content onto the, um, uh, I don't I, like sort of onto, onto LinkedIn, which is just making people like up there, like the way that they pitch it. Recruitment's really quite far behind with it, wouldn't you agree? Like the way that we actually sell when you look at the tech industry. Um, what in terms in, in terms of the way we sell or what we sell, like in terms of the product or both? I kind of both. Like the actually having a process that isn't just I'm going to spec a CV and pick up a job and so, work it, and it's yeah. I um I think recruitment is constantly about five years behind tech sales to be honest yeah. like just in the way we do think i don't know why it is i really don't um i think i think generally like training across the board in recruitment is quite narrow-minded and it's not a holistic approach and mm. for some reason as well like if you speak to someone in tech sales, tech sales, they have this culture of, you know, personal development. You've got loads of sales trainers in tech sales, you know, people with email sequences and technology and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah and you yeah. go into recruitment and it, there isn't really that type of, there isn't really that type of culture in recruitment. It's like you said, it's very much like, well, you know, just specking a candidate because we don't even have a product to sell anyway. The product is the candidates really like how you speak yeah. to, because, because of what I do, I, you know, mostly I speak to agencies and I'm one of the first questions I say is, um, if a prospect asked you, um, what, uh, what can you offer us apart from good candidates? How would you answer that? And the answers I always get are, they start talking about their experience for some reason. Um, they talk mm. about the amount of candidates on the database. Specialist. Mm. Yeah specialist expert in my market whatever that means yeah and then they might yeah. say something like we'll create a job descriptions or um we'll give you a salary survey that's about the extent of it um mm. but yeah it's, it is it is interesting and and you know personal branding as well isn't there a start i don't know if it's true but there's a start that always goes around that like only one percent of people on linkedin actually post content yes you have uh lurkers so there's lurkers who are just the people who scroll and don't do anything. Contributors, the people who comment, and then the creators. And the creators, there's only a what I think it's like 99 percent of the content is produced by one percent of the audience, or one percent of it, yeah. or something like that. It's mad. But I, it was a real. I was. I am not the person who typically would. I don't like social media. Like I'm not. Uh, it is so far out of my comfort zone. Do it. Doing this. It's taken a long time for me to get comfortable with doing it. Um, it's fine now, and you do actually have to build quite a lot of resilience. I, it, 
I underestimated the resilience you need with it. You need to literally not give a shit if your post doesn't do well. Like, just don't care. Like, it doesn't matter. Someone saw it. It's okay. Just crack on to do something else. Like, it does. It doesn't matter. But so many people get get like, oh, you got four likes. Not doing that again. Yeah. Oh, don't care. Don't don't care. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Just. I, um, like you, you've got to build up some resilience with it. Yeah, I because uh, you did um, training with Hoxo, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. I did training with Hoxo as well, and um, well, I remember when we did it, and I was like, every, everyone in our business didn't really run with it. They sort of did a couple yeah. of posts and then sort of you know binned it off because I think the reality is most people get really scared of, of posting because LinkedIn's a yeah. weird one. It's not like twitter it's not your personal account etc it's it's very you're very vulnerable and obviously everyone has that yeah. fear of even lo- losing clients getting fired all that kind of stuff um but i remember um uh one of my team uh because i had I, I was getting results i was getting results on on, on linkedin I, I went from like not posting at all but really wanting to to you know posting very often and obviously i, I post every day now um but it, I, I was initially nervous as well. Like, even though yeah. I got, I'd had success on other social media platforms, LinkedIn was just such a different thing for me. And um, I remember uh, sitting with my team, uh, some of my team members, and I was saying, uh, I was like, we're going to have a big push on personal branding. You, like, you'd be really good at it. You just need to get into the flow. Once you get into the flow and you build that resilience, it won't be a problem anymore. And uh, I remember she worked on, it was like nine o'clock. And I was like, cool, if we can just get a post out by, you know, half nine sort of thing do it now and then we can get it out and go from there and uh i remember it got to like quarter past 11 and i was like i, I can't see your post on my feed like i can't I don't know what's happened there and i was like have you done it yet and she was like oh no i'm still um still writing it it wasn't a long post and but what had happened was she was so scared of like yeah um, yeah, yeah. Not get, i remember i remember having a conversation about it and i was just like what what's causing the delay sort of thing she was like well what if it only gets like 500 impressions so yeah it's just it like, like, we've all been there i think we've all been it's there a weird, it is a weird like, one to do but stuff you... like when you first started sorry go on yeah I, I, um with what you post as well like have you had many like trolls or haters or people who like publicly disagree with you Mm, no, I had one recently. I scheduled it, and I was actually in lap lab with my kid, with my with my family, and it was one. It was about BD, and it was just this. I said this rubbish question gets far too much airtime, and it was like a. It was I think it was. Do you have any vacancies, or do you do you use agencies? That's like by far and away got forty five thousand impressions, which is like for me. I only started this year with eighteen hundred connections. I've got nearly 5,000 followers now because I've been quite um, consistently doing it. But like, I didn't really commit to this at all, like prior to doing the Hoxo thing. So um, there was quite a lot there. And I had people saying, like, your view on this is wonky. And, and like, there's some really good people. I'm like, these guys really know what they're talking They do know what they're talking about. There's, there's some, but there's some good stuff on um, on there. I haven't had any um, real haters. But it, that, that post, I was like, oh, this is a bit too much now. I don't like it. It's too many. Too, I don't like it. It's almost to the extent I'm uncomfortable with. Uh, they had like 200 likes. I'm, I'm more comfortable around about you know 30. <laughs> uh, but so it is. I saw it nothing other than expect. I basically just looked at it as an experiment. That was it. Yeah. I was just like, I just want to see if this works. Can it do anything? 
I generated placements off the back of it for us internally. So I was like, I can see that it works. But then I, that's why I've thrown myself into working with the guys because I was like, do you know what? If I was to go back in and do recruitment, I'm fairly certain that this was a, this would be a very, very key part of how I did it. I'm going to almost mm. experiment by helping just working with them on what on, on their content and seeing what they can produce. I'm going to do it for 10 weeks and see what happens. But I'm almost certain I will generate some good stuff off the back of it because I believe in it that much. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, look, mate, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a really great chat. Um, if people want to check your stuff out, is it is it just LinkedIn they need to go to? Yeah, mainly, yeah. Just just reach out on LinkedIn. Happy to have a, happy to have a conversation or if anyone wants any yeah, tips on anything, yeah, happy to have a chat. Yeah, and if they're looking for a new recruitment job as well and like the sound of what you're doing, um, is that, do they just come to you as well or do they go to Cappy's website or? No, they can. Yeah, they can come to come to us. What a bit of a consolidation thing at the moment just over the next few months but i'm sure we'll be looking to but if they're you know you can always find room for very good very good recruiters so yeah chris will stick you on the waiting list <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah no legend mate thanks so much for coming on really appreciate it um good chat <laughs>